Well, I'll tell you, uh, back when COVID was going on, I got a call from uh, a hospital up in Oregon. They were running out of places to put people that had, had passed away. So we took a trailer up there, a refrigerated trailer, because that's what we haul, dropped it off, and they filled it full of corpse, corpses, if I guess. And then uh, we had to haul it away. That's pretty, <laughs> that's pretty crazy, man. You're listening to Buff Speak, the official podcast of the Paul and Virginia Angler College of Business at West Texas A&M University. I am Dr. Nick Gerlich, your host, as we meet up with the thought leaders making an impact today. In my many years at WT, I have taught thousands of students, both in the classroom and online. And, and with that many names and faces to remember, you have to do some pretty amazing things to stand out. It takes an energy level that is always pushing the needle as far as it'll go. And, and it takes faith that your ideas are going to pan out and that you're going to make money somehow. It takes a person who crabs the bull by the horns and makes the bull work for him. Of course, I'm talking about an entrepreneur, that person who is willing to assume risk as a student first and then in the professional world. I've seen my fair share of those through the years, but they are still rare among the thousands. My guest today is Shane Redline, who earned his BBA in marketing at WT back in 1999 and then his MBA here in 2001. Shane is a tireless businessman who founded Jack's Transport in Amarillo on basically a wing and a prayer and has grown the company so rapidly that it is now one of the fastest growing trucking firms in the entire state. Shane, where did you get that entrepreneurial gene? Does this run in your family or were you just born with it? No, I would say that, uh, you know, I've always been a guy that, uh, you know, that knows how to take a dime and, and turn it into a dollar and, and uh, nowhere, you know, going through college or high school, if I was, you know, selling cars on the side or motorcycles or whatever it might be, um, I just, you know, tried to have to figure out a way to make some money. And so, uh, you know, my grandparents who I grew up with worked at uh, Sears Roebuck and Montgomery Wards, little retail stores. And so it's, uh, it's just kind of always been, uh, you know, something that I've grabbed onto mainly out of necessity, you know, you got to figure out how to make some money and that's pretty much where it's come from. So tell us how you got your start in the trucking business. Your website tells an interesting tale of kind of humble beginnings. Surely this story is worth telling. Man, I'll be honest with you. So I got into, you know, I went to work for a company called Asco Equipment, and it was back in like uh, 05 through 09 when the when the economy was just, it was roaring, man. We were building biodiesel plants and dairies and Bell Helicopter and cheese plants and all the stuff in the area. So I definitely had the economy on my side. Um, but, uh, you know, I was a rental equipment salesman, and uh, we couldn't deliver equipment fast enough. And so what I did was I went out and I made a deal with an outside trucking company in the area. And uh, I just I made a deal with them to haul our equipment. And about every quarter we would meet and uh, they, we would negotiate what the rate was going to be to haul the equipment to deliver it to the customer. And that'd be, you know, backhoes and forklifts and, you know, things like that. And really, I got a call one day uh, from the inside office that said, hey, you know, our, uh, our the trucking company we've been using is going up on our rate. And I said, well, we renegotiate in two weeks. Just tell them to hold off on raising our rate. And they told me, well, they, they just couldn't do that. They were going up. And so I went back to Amarillo, Texas. I was at a meeting in Lubbock, and I called the guy. I said, what do you mean you're going to go up on our rate? Well, fuel's just so high. It's what we have to do. And I said, but we have a deal. He said, well, tough. I said, no problem. Sounds good. So I met a gentleman uh, that was uh, – so really what I did was I called their head guy. And I met him at the McDonald's on Tecla Street. I said, hey, 
you ready to start your own trucking company? And he said, absolutely. And so I hired my, my, uh, my, the guy I was using, I hired his head guy. And uh, long story short, we bought a 08, I bought, went and bought a 08 Dodge Dually and a flatbed trailer and Jack's transport was born that day. And that's really how, how we started. So it's, uh, you know, a guy didn't keep his word and that's why I'm sitting here today, you know, which I guess it worked out good for me. So this was not the result of some, uh, you know, exquisite uh, marketing research study or anything like this. It was just somebody giving you a raw deal. A hundred percent. Yeah. I had no plan, no business plan. No, uh, I'd never been in business for myself. And, uh, I just decided that, you know, if, if a guy wasn't going to keep his word, then I would just, you know, I would just take the business over and I guess become his competitor. And, and today that guy is still around and he probably has, you know, about, uh, six or eight semi trucks and we have about 380. So I think we might've won that deal. Yeah, I think so. Just a little <laughs> bit. So That's right. how hard is it to get started in this industry? I mean, it, it's not like trucking is anything new because trucks have been plying American roadways for a century. Yeah, I'll tell you, it's, it's very hard. And, you know, obviously, you know, I see business, you know, I have multiple friends that, that be, you know, bankers that have become my friends and they tell me about different, you know, people starting businesses and what have you. And, you know, there's the guy who wants to start a restaurant or, you know, wants to, you know, a landscape business or, or what have you. Those are, those are the barriers of entry are pretty easy. You know, when you decide to, to go into business, you know, in the trucking business, well, you've got to go buy a, a truck first. And those are, you know, 40 to $180,000. And then you got to buy a trailer and then you got to have insurance. And it is very, very tough. And so I'll just tell you, I paid some pretty high interest rates when the bank told me they wouldn't loan me money. I paid some pretty high interest rates to private investors um, and, uh, you know, to get going. And uh, they're the guys that, that got me here. And so it's definitely, definitely was very, very, very tough. Uh, I've heard it said many times that Amarillo is America's biggest truck stop. Uh, once Road Ranger and Bucky's finish their projects on the east side of town, there will be seven major truck stops and travel centers within only a few miles. So that uh, that pretty much validates that little cliche about Amarillo. But it also attests to the volume of trucks going through here east and west on I-40. I mean, that's a major transcontinental highway. Did this play into your decision to base your company right here? Well, obviously, I grew up in Amarillo, Texas, and and uh, you know, graduating from West Texas A and M. I mean, this is this has always been home. Uh, you know, I moved to Dallas for about nine months, then I moved right back to Amarillo, and obviously, it it uh, you know, I didn't give it a lot of thought. You know, I mean, I'm from here, and and uh, what's great about what you just said is, you know, we have we are right in the middle, um, you know, of 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 the country. We've got this interstate that runs through here. And, uh, you know, there's uh, our biggest business, you know, we're in the food hauling business and um, we haul, uh, there's nine major meat packing plants within a 220 mile radius, you know, the Tysons and Cargills, Cavanus, National Beef, Seaboard. So you've got these, you know, multi-billion dollar uh, meat packing plants right here, along with cheese plants. And the, the amount of freight here is just absolutely ridiculous uh, in a good way. And so it really was just a great spot to be. And, you know, when lots of this is, you know, as the economy is a little bit tough right now, you know, with, in, with inflation um, and interest rates, we haul food for a living and, and we have too much business, which is a great problem to have. Um, whereas you see some of the guys that haul, you know, flatbed freight or, you know, they're in the construction type stuff, you know, they're kind of struggling right now. And, uh, you know, we're sitting, we have 52 new trucks coming in the next six months. And so, uh, but so definitely the, the, where, where, where we're, um, you know, located definitely plays a big role into, into our success. Um, so how does Jack's transport work? Do you own all of the trucks 
operating under your corporate banner or do you have other owner operators working with you for you i mean you, d you just mentioned you have 380 right now and uh your website says you got 400 trailers i imagine that number needs to be updated um and and how are revenues these days i mean you obviously ramped up fast yes that's a great that's a great question i'll tell you why so obviously you know uh i love making money with other people's money you know opm right other people's money and so what that means is is you know we have about 170 trucks that we lease from Pinsky leasing we've all heard of Pinsky. we've seen them all around the country roger Pinsky's very successful owns indianapolis motor speedway and um, it took me probably up until about four years ago to uh, stop owning the trucks and move to a lease program it's you know all inclusive i don't have to worry about when it breaks down we have you know our, our on top performance is is so much better and and uh so anyways you know we uh and then we have about 200 or so owner operators so they own the truck and something that we've done in this country that not many people will do is we've helped these owner operators come in with um it's just a guy who's got a cdl and he's got one truck and uh and we help him get two trucks and three trucks and i've got have i have multiple guys that have 20 30 40 50 trucks now uh, one guy operations and these are all guys who came in as just you know they, I, we've helped them become entrepreneurs um and so uh so yeah so you know leasing trucks has been great um our balance sheet you know is not just sinking in debt because of that um and then and then again we're helping other guys uh, you know build their trucking company with inside our company as well so you mentioned food you also mentioned corpses. Uh, is there anything else you haul? <laughs> you know, we haul everything. We haul everything. You know, and and uh, you know, really, we we leave these meat packing plants in this area. And for example, we'll use California as an example. Um, we haul to California probably fifteen to twenty five times a week. Um, and there's a ton, you know, a ton of produce in California, and we'll haul produce back. Um, for those who are listening that might have might have seen an Allsup's uh, Allsup's convenience store before, um, all those the famous Allsup's burrito that comes out of Bloomington, California, and we haul probably five or six semi loads a week. Um, and so, um, you know, if if it'll if it'll fit in a semi trader, you know, we'll haul it. And you know, mainly it's but we'll haul everything from you know bricks and Gatorade and tennis shoes and light bulbs. And you know, you asked a question earlier. All that put together, you know, we finished 2022 out. Um, just a little over 108 million in sales, which obviously that blows my mind. It's crazy to even say that, you know, starting with, you know, 108 Dodge Dooley to 108 million in sales. And then we have, you know, we should be over 400 trucks, you know, by April. And so, uh, but man, if, if we can close the doors and put it in the back of the trader, you know, and it's, it's got to be profitable, you know, then we'll haul it. I think you just burst some people's bubbles. I'm sure everybody thought those burritos were made right there at their neighborhood also, right? Yeah. Yep. All they're doing is throwing it in the grease and, and getting it hot. You know, they sure are good, though. But, uh, but yeah, the famous salsa burrito. It's a good one. You, uh, you stress on your website how your drivers better be firing up the grill and mowing the lawn once a week at home. I, I think that says a lot that you don't expect your drivers to be on the road for weeks on end, literally living out of their truck. And parking at truck stops, you know, during their downtime and all that. And yet you still managed to cover the entire lower 48. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, I think it's a great question. I think that one thing, you know, I mean, it's been, you and I were talking earlier, it's been 24 years since I had you, you know, you had me in class, you know, and, and one thing that I, I walked away from, you know, getting my undergrad and then my MBA here at West Texas A&M was, you know, you got to have a niche. And there's, so many trucking companies you can go to work for it's i mean it's the you know anybody can enter that uh you know enter that business and so what we do is and that's the reason you know we're the largest trucking company to denver oklahoma city dallas and albuquerque and that's that's a 
pretty good area. And the reason why is because, uh, you know, we want guys to have a good lifestyle. And, you know, our guys make eighty to $100,000. And those are guys that, you know, might have graduated high school, right? And so they're making more <laughs> than a lot of folks out there. But, yeah, we, I, that's my slogan is if you're not turning your grill on once a week and mowing your grass, what are you doing? And that's one thing that's grown our business is our, our competition in this town and all over the country. They have guys that live on the road two to six weeks at a time. And, you know, these truck drivers who we love, man, they just, they take care of us. We want to take care of them. And they go out a day, maybe two, and they come right back. And instead of bouncing all around the country for two or three, four or five weeks at a time, we bring them right back home to see their family. And that's been the biggest uh, opportunity. And that's really our niche. And it's, it's worked really well. Many years ago, when our highway system was being built out, and, and I'm looking like a century ago, Trucks were often last mile carriers. They, they hauled freight from the nearest railroad depot to customers where the railroad did not run. How is it today that trucks and rail are equally viable options for both long and short hauls? You know, um, I think that, you know, you'll see, and, and obviously the railroad is, is our competitor, you know, and so... That's also the reason that we're in the fresh meat hauling business or the produce business. And so once again, going back to, we talked about our drivers and, and how we treat them being a niche. Also the type of business that we're in and what we haul is our niche. I mean, you guys can see, um, we see Amazon now and we see the blue trailers everywhere. Heck, we have an Amazon facility in Amarillo, Texas. And the rates are, and I'm not beating up on Amazon, but the rates are low. Well, it's just dry freight. I mean, they can you, they can put it behind a semi or they can put it you know on, on a rail. Well, it's it's a lot tough. It's a lot more. It's a lot more difficult to you know put a load of lettuce coming out of California that's got about a you know two to five day shelf life on a on a uh, on a on a rail car that's going to take you know five to ten days to get there. And so I've I've made sure that we try to you know hold our competitive advantage. You know, being hauling that fresh product. Um, you know, close to us and not deviate from that. And, and we've had calls, you know, Hey, you want to haul some windmill turbines? Like, you know, you've seen wind farms be a big deal across the country or, or, or whatever it might be, or automobiles. And I've always just, you know, or the oil field, you know, I mean, down in Odessa Midland and, you know, very volatile area. And sometimes you see those opportunities and think they're the way to go. But I always tell myself, Hey, it's eight o'clock. I'm going to eat breakfast one, four hours. I'm going to eat again. And then at five or six, I'm going to eat again. And I've always just said, you know what? We need to make sure that we stay in, in that area of business that requires our truck and not some other form of transportation. Um, trains can now run up to 16,000 feet in length, more than three miles long. I mean, I live by the tracks. I deal with this every day, getting stuck behind these massively long trains. And trucks, you know, in comparison, are pretty pretty limited. I know it's kind of an apples to orange comparison, one one tractor with its trailers uh, versus a long train. But, you know, even still in the states that allow doubles and those handful of western states that allow for triples going down the road, the amount of freight that you can haul per driver is, you know, pretty much limited by length and weight considerations. Uh, and especially when it comes to, you know, things like bridges, you don't want to be falling through these things and and never mind the dot and how many hours you can drive and all that how do you and other trucking companies work to overcome those inherent limitations especially on things like dry freight as opposed to fresh food absolutely well you know one thing again you know it really just capitalizes on the opportunity to 
uh, you know, to, to haul food and to haul fresh, very, very fresh food. And for example, you know, there's, there's, as I said earlier, there's nine major meat packing plants in the area. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it is what it is. There's cows walking in this morning and they're going to leave in a box this afternoon and it's going to go on our trailer. Um, and that stuff's got to be there tomorrow or maybe, you know, worst case scenario, if we're going up into New York or Miami, maybe three days. And once it gets past that, then then uh, the product's going to go bad and it's just not it's not going to work. And so that's the reason that, uh, you know, these these manufacturers will use a truck versus, you know, like you talked about versus a train, whereas the dry freight. I mean, they're putting, you know, again, you'll see it's amazing to me how many Amazon traders you'll see on rail car um, because the amount that they're able to haul it for is I, I heard the other day it was, you know, it was like 30 percent of what, you know, they pay a normal truck that's got one driver per one load. Now they can do one driver two you know, two on a train per 100. So just got to make sure that we continue to capitalize on the fresh product. And that's what we're going to haul. The interstate highway system is now more or less completely built out at 45,000 miles. And I know we occasionally hear of new efforts like to, uh, oh, extend I-27 north of here so that it hooks up with Interstate 25 to the north or, or to the south um, below Lubbock all the way down to I-10, I guess. But for the most part, the interstate highway system is done. Um, and there's still countless thousands of other miles on, on the federal and state highways, but it seems like our highways are just getting more and more crowded. How are we all going to coexist? And I mean, the royal we, uh, people driving minivans and motorcycles, how are we all going to coexist when there are few plans to add to our nation's highways? You know, that's a great question that I absolutely don't know the answer to, but I'll tell you, I mean, it definitely causes problems. You know, when we're going into, you know, Dallas or Los Angeles or Houston or, you know, Atlanta, Georgia or wherever it might be, um, you know, we have calls every week, you know, like we, you know, we, we offer one thing beyond time. That's all we have to offer. And uh, we definitely see, and I, I you know, I, I kind of agree with what you're saying. I don't know if it's getting worse, but I mean, obviously, you know, we have drivers, you know, calling saying, hey, there's no way I'm going to make that on-time delivery because I'm stuck here in traffic for an hour and a half. Heck, I was in Dallas, uh, you know, Tuesday, and, uh, you know, it took me it took me an hour to go 15 miles. And so it's a great question, you know, and, um, you know, as, as we, as our, uh, you know, our government plans, you know, plans roads and, and hopefully they to try to look at ways to, uh, you know, increase the amount of lanes there are. And that's about the only way that's probably going, you know, probably going to work together. Trucking has become so popular that um, about 11 billion tons are hauled by trucks each year. And that represents 72% of all freight. That's pretty good. Um, we, we just think there are a lot of trains passing through Amarillo and Canyon, uh, which there are. But it's trucks that are doing most of the heavy lifting. Uh, what's your prognosis on this for the future? Are you going to continue to chisel away at what the trains do and grab more than just 72%? You know, I mean, again, if we're, uh, I think that, uh, you know, it seems like as, as time goes on, especially like with technology, we get smarter. And uh, as, as, you know, just as, as people in general, and they're always looking for, you know, I mean, again, I, I, like, to, I like to talk about Amazon because I think it's ridiculously successful. And um, heck, I use it now because it's so easy. And, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, uh, you know, how, how do we, you know, how, how do we how do we keep that going? And again, I think it's just, and I've said it a few times, but um, again, if, if I was in the, the automobile hauling business, I mean, you continue to see, I have, I have friends that are in that business and, 
and uh, they'll see that you know rates continue to get cheaper. Why? I mean, it sounds like the the railroad sales guys out there are doing a good job calling on them um, and telling them how much money they can save by putting on a rail, you know, versus you know versus a truck. And I think that's one thing you'll see us do is I want to give them my secrets away here, but you know, is capitalize on hauling on hauling fresh product, you know. And I think that's what uh, you know you'll continue to see and. Um, but there's obviously, you know, CEOs and, and uh, you know, operations managers are always looking for ways to haul it cheaper. And that's definitely something that we always, you know, battle and probably will continue to. Not long ago, meaning like the last year or two, um, the U.S. suffered through major price increases in motor fuels and diesel reached six bucks a gallon or more in some parts of the country. Uh, and in some states, depending on taxes and so forth, there's up to a two dollar differential per gallon between gasoline and diesel and of course trucks are running diesel and the prospects of paying about a dollar per mile become very very real how did you weather that storm that's a man i tell you that's probably the biggest you know greatest question you've asked so far and i'll tell you back in you know back in 08 09 i mean we were in the construction you know equipment type business hauling business you know backhoes and cranes and forklifts and and uh you know we got to the point where I, you know, I'm, I was looking at our P&L each month and wondering if we we're going to stay in business. And it got tight. It got very close, um, almost so much that, and I'll just tell you, we've been, we've been in business uh, 15 years now. And uh, again, almost, you know, over $108 million in sales. Back in 08, 09, we almost had to close the doors. I mean, it made that much of an impact. Um, because, you know, at the end of the day, you know, yes, obviously, you know, there's a fuel surcharge when, you know, fuel goes, you know, when fuel goes up and we, we operate on a national fuel surcharge, but, um, but we definitely felt it. And that's actually when we got into hauling food as, as a lot of that business went down. Um, and you know, you've seen it in the last year. I mean, heck man, I'm driving in today and diesel's four bucks a gallon. I mean, and so the economy hadn't fixed itself, you know, from what it was, you know, two or three years ago. And, you know, it's, you know, we have price increases with our customers. Um, and then, you know, I feel like people have less money right now with inflation. Um, and so you've seen sales, you know, across, you know, across the country uh, come down as well. Like, again, is somebody going to buy a steak or are they going to buy chicken? You know, and when, when incomes, uh, you know, when your dollar doesn't go as far, you continue to see, you know, sales in those, you know, higher end products, you know, go down. And so, the, you know, I saw the other day in California, I had a buddy of mine send me a picture, eggs, eight ninety nine for a dozen. And, uh, you know, and that's all, there's some other things going on with eggs right now, but a lot of the, you know, the, a lot of the prices in, in, uh, in the grocery store are elevated so much because of our fuel prices. And so, you know, there's electricity's coming, you know, electric trucks are coming on, um, and, uh, as well as autonomous trucks. And so those are two things that it's probably going to take five to 10 years, but, but, uh, there's definitely going to be ways that we try to overcome those high fuel prices. But at the end of the day, it's a price increase and you hate to see that to the consumer, but that's just, it costs what it costs. So what's the future hold for the the trucking industry i mean you've you've been very smart in latching on to uh, an evergreen product category no matter how bad the inflation is we still got to eat that's right and so food is always going to be hauled from a to b they may not be selling as many widgets and thingamajigs and you know the the discretionary or longer term products that uh we might like to buy but uh food we got to eat um do you do you see yourself finding more room for growth just in that or are there some other evergreen niches that are you know kind of emerging 
Yeah, well, I think that, you know, we will continue to haul. I mean, obviously, you know, our government continues to throw out opportunities for, uh, I mean, there's, you know, I was talking to a, a friend of mine the other day that runs a local Budweiser distributorship, and they told me uh, up in Denver, and he told me uh, how many electric trucks they had on order. Um, and, you know, obviously that infrastructure is not in place today. Um, I, you know, I don't have a crystal ball on how long it takes. Um, but, you know, you'll continue to see us focus on food. And obviously, you know, right now, you know, the only way we're able to, you know, or one way we're able to try to capitalize on uh, what's going on in the economy is better fuel mileage. And so, you know, if you have a truck that's 10 years old, you're probably getting five miles a gallon. Our trucks now are getting seven and a half miles a gallon. And so, you know, again, I, I hear guys all the time ask, what are you going to do when electric trucks are here? I'm like, well, we're going to buy some. That's what we'll do. Obviously, there's not an infrastructure in place in the United States, you know, you know, for cars, kind of, they're working on it. Um, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll continue to not get lazy and not uh, think that the old way is the best way because it's not. And we're always going to be on the cutting edge of trying to figure out, you know, a way to make a cost effective, more cost effective solution because the trucking companies that are, you know, national that are four, five, six thousand trucks, those are the guys we got to compete against. And they have a lot of smart guys running those operations. And so, you know, we'll figure out ways to, to do, you know, to haul the freight as, as most cost effective as we can so that we can offer a great price. When we come back, we'll take a look at transportation in Amarillo and change perspectives on growth opportunities in the city. There's a reason why our programs are rated so highly by independent reviewers. We are committed to continuously improving what we do. Whether it is in the classroom or online, the Paul and Virginia Angler College of Business strives to stay ahead of the curve, not behind it. Join us in the classroom or online and see the difference. We're WCSB accredited and among the most elite business schools around the world. Reach for the stars and do it with a WT business degree in hand. For more info, find us online at wtamu.edu slash cob or call 806-651-2525. From the Texas Panhandle to the world, we are here to help you reach for those stars. It's no secret that Amarillo exists because of the railroad. Um, it was in the spring of 1887 that the Fort Worth and Denver City Railroad bisected the city from southeast to northwest, uh, hence the name of the railroad, followed by what we know today as the ATSF, or what was the ATSF, from northeast to southwest, and then the Rock Island from east to west. I mean, think about that. We had rail coming in from six different directions. Of course, everything here today is now BNSF, and the Rock Island line has been ripped up, but, but were it not for the railroad, Amarillo likely would never have happened. Uh, it was inevitable then that it became a great cattle shipping town. And, and that was all before we had anything resembling highways, certainly not the kinds we have today. Uh, it, it's hard to argue with Amarillo's highway network now, which finds interstate highways and several federal highways all going off in, in every possible direction. I mean, we've, we've kind of got our bases covered here with rail and pavement. And nationwide, the amount of trackage, though, is still a, only about 50% of what it was a century ago. Basically, trucks have filled the gaps. I mean, it's hard to believe that just 100 years ago, we had twice as many miles of track as we do now. How do you see Amarillo continuing to evolve as a transportation hub? Um, will rail and trucking continue to coexist, uh, or will trucking emerge as the, the you know the huge winner? And and what about air transport? I mean, 
we do have one of the longest runways in the country. Do you see a three-way split, possibly? I mean, that could, Amazon has a fleet of cargo jets, too, that they could just as easily be bringing in to take it advantage of what I would consider a very underutilized airport. Absolutely. Well, I mean, obviously, you know, there's going to continue to be, uh, you know, the rail won't go away. I mean, even as that's decreased, I think one of the main reasons that you've seen the rail, uh, the miles go away, as you talked about, the amount of tracks, um, is because we can't wait for anything, you know, just like Amazon. You know, we buy something because we can have it tomorrow. And uh, always, uh, you know, one thing I, I tell customers sometimes is, uh, I like to use FedEx, but I say we're not FedEx next day. We're FedEx same day. And so the truck can be same day delivery and uh, or it can be right the next morning. It takes a lot. For, you know, rail cars won't replace trucks when it comes to fresh product, the beef, you know, the you know beef and chicken and pork and those things. Now, again, they have frozen products. And so you see there's plenty of refrigeration that goes on uh, rail car. Um, you know, because it's frozen. But, you know, in my opinion, you'll, you'll see trucks always going to be there because we're always going to have to have stuff right now. Um, you know, we haul potatoes. Uh, for those of you, you know, we've heard of In-N-Out Burger. And uh, we haul potatoes from Dalhart, Texas, all the way out to uh, Chino, California, where they process and cut, you know, fresh, you know, In-N-Out uh, Burger uh, uh, French fries. So you're always going to see the truck, you know, uh, and I think, you know, the truck's going to be there because we have to have the right now. We got to have it tomorrow. Um, and then, uh, you know, and then when it goes to air travel, honest, I mean, obviously, I mean, it's, uh, you know, that's a balance, but it's expensive to fly an airplane. I'm a pilot actually. And, uh, I know what it costs to operate, you know, smaller planes. Um, and you know, the cost that it would take to move stuff. And we, heck we spend, you know, 35 bucks to send an envelope somewhere, you know, via FedEx overnight. And so the cost will, you know, we'll never be able to, uh, you know, to keep up with, you know, with what products sell for when it comes to air travel. But, you know, we have a, it's 13,000 foot at Rick Husband Airport, you know, 13,000 13, feet long. And so um, definitely allows for, uh, you know, for air travel to, uh, you know, to constantly exist. But uh, I think there's always going to be a place, you know, really for all three of those to, you know, to coexist. And what's your range on, a, let's say, a next morning delivery? How far can you go? Yeah, we can go. So as you said, you know, said earlier, you know, 11 hours is what our guy can drive. So actually, you know, a semi truck gets 14 hours a day, 11 hours of driving, and the other three hours used for taking breaks, going to the restroom, uh, you know, getting fuel and what have you. So, uh, and that's a, that's a really fun thing to talk about when we talk about electric trucks, obviously, you know, uh, the, uh, the infrastructure is not across the, you know, not built across the country, um, nor do they, I mean, they, they have them and they're testing them. Um, and, uh, you know, we hired a guy the other day, uh, that's doing a run from, uh, Phoenix, Arizona to, uh, to Houston, Texas with an autonomous truck. He sits in the left seat and he just sits there. Um, this is happening right now today. And, uh, you know, he gets paid and his job is just there in case he needs to hit the brakes pretty much or turn that truck if for some reason the technology failed. But, you know, is it, we have autonomous trucks right now and it's they're going down the highway. And so Pepsi Cola is doing a great job with that. Um, and so uh, so so anyways, I mean, it's uh, you know, there's just there's different opportunities that you're going to see. And, and uh, you know, but I think that it just, you know, you'll it's as time goes on, we just we see those continue to happen. And how significant do you think that transportation, specifically freight, will be part of the local Amarillo economy? And after all, we're located right here along the 35th parallel. That has long been considered um, about as far north as you can go and still have pretty reliable year-round travel. There's a few 
places west of here, and, and sometimes we get snow too, but 35th parallel is a highly regarded place to be in the U.S. And, and so we've got abundant rail and highways and, and so forth. It, it seems natural to me. Um, how, how, how much do you think our economy will continue to rely on freight as, as a, a moneymaker? Well, I'll tell you, so, you know, we just, uh, you know, put a partnership together, just really, you know, in alliance with the Amarillo Economic Development Corporation, the EDC, and they continue to bring in so many companies. I mean, the, the Amazon is here because of the ADC and the Bell Helicopter. Those guys are just doing an amazing job. And, you know, they shared a study with me the other day. They hired a company out of, I think it was out of North Carolina, and said, what are the two things that, uh, that Amarillo, uh, you know, will flourish in, man? And they said, uh, transportation, or really logistics is what they said, um, along with food processing. And so, you know, I don't know that I was that aware of how many beef packing plants that there were in this area. Um, in Guymon, Oklahoma, 122 miles away, uh, Seaboard Farms, one of our biggest customers, they're a pork producer. Um, and, uh, and then you have, you know, you have, you have two, you have a cheese plant in Clovis, New Mexico. You have a cheese plant in Dalhart, Texas. Um, you have a company here in Amarillo, Pacific Cheese. That, you know they produce the cheese for you know Taco Bell and companies like that. And so, it's only going to get better. And uh, you know, I mean, again, they uh, because of where we're located, you know, we have lots of water in certain depending on what side of the you know Amarillo you're on. Uh, we have lots of water in the area, um, and uh, you know the climate isn't you know like we're in iowa or nebraska where it just is crazy cold all the time um and so uh you know agriculture is huge um so i mean we have i don't know that i don't know how many areas there are like this where you have this many beef packing plants um and as much agriculture going on um as long as, as well as you know milk and you know and wheat and and uh, soybeans and all that so it's only going to get better i mean obviously i said we're adding 52 trucks over the next you know 60 days and we wouldn't be doing that if, if uh, you know, sales were going down. And, uh, you know, obviously our goal is to, uh, you know, we're the largest trucking company in the area and we want to keep it that way, you know. And so, but man, it's going to, it's only going to keep getting better. As an entrepreneur, you, you obviously see the world through a very different lens. And I, I'm certain you are constantly looking at situations and sizing them up for potential, even if they're things that you would never, you know, actually do. What kinds of opportunities do you see emerging in Amarillo? You know, I mean, uh, you know, obviously, as I said earlier, I mean, anything with agriculture, anything with logistics, you know, and so there will continue to be, uh, you know, warehousing is going to be huge. You know, I drive into Dallas, Texas, and it's amazing how many, you know, I, I call them the, the Amazon, you know, looking warehouses. They're not all Amazon, but um, there's just so many warehouses being built in the Dallas area. Um, there's, there's some huge opportunities in this area for cold storage. You know, and, and so just to kind of give you a, a kind of an illustration, you know, when, as I said, cows walk in the morning, they leave in a box in the afternoon. Well, they don't have enough storage space at these facilities, you know, uh, to, to store all this. And so you have out by the airport, we have Americold. All it is is a freezer. All it's doing is products coming in, they're unloading trucks, and they're, you know, a couple of days go by and they're reloading them. So there are just going to be so many opportunities for, uh, you know, for, for warehousing is going to be huge. Um, you know, for, I mean, I hate to say it, but for more competitors, you know, to come in because there's so much freight. Um, and I have people call all the time and say, Hey, we want to work on your website for you so you can get more business. And I say, 
I have more business than I can handle. I don't need you to, to drive more to me. We have plenty, um, which is a great problem to have. And so um, anything to do in logistics or, you know, or transportation are just going to be industries that are, that are going to just going to be continued to rock in this area. So is there an upper limit to what Jack's Transport can do here? You mentioned you have two places in town, one on the far south, one on the far north. Do you have enough capacity for future expansion, or would you have to look elsewhere? You know, we just made a deal uh, with, the, with, like I said earlier, with the AEDC. We bought 46 acres of land on the South Loop in Osage for our new facility. And so we've got uh, we've got a very large uh, shop and an office, um, uh, you know, on, on the on the books right now to start building and so there, you know, we, I, I like, you know, again, I, I, uh, as you said, you know, we're here to talk, you're talking about entre- being an entrepreneur, you know, being able to not be scared of risk, which, you know, is, is a big deal. And just, you know, you know, I go, you know, again, I've got 52 trucks coming in pretty soon. Well, man, that's 10 million bucks, you know, of, of lease payments, you know, and so, uh, that's a lot. And so, you know, the, I'm, we can, ha- I feel like we can handle anything that's thrown at us. You know, we've, you know, be able to start with one truck and the time frame that we, you know, seven years ago, we had 55 trucks. So really we went from 55 trucks in seven years to almost 400. And so I think that we can handle probably anything that comes at us and we go out and we're aggressive. And, you know, I spend a lot of time traveling, um, you know, I'm going to Logan, Utah to meet with a customer next week. And, and then in that same day, we'll probably see, you know, three different customers. We'll be in, we'll be in uh, Utah, we'll be in uh, Kansas city. Uh, and then we'll be in Kansas all in the same day, you know, because of air travel and, uh, man, the, there's just, uh, I'm excited about the opportunities and, uh, we're, you know, we're, we're not scared of anything. We're ready to tackle it. What about population? Um, I, I've been here a long time. You know that. 34 years now. The Panhandle has been probably the slowest growing region in the state, with with the possible exception of, like, far west Texas before you get to El Paso, uh, you know, in the middle of the desert. Um, we've grown about 16% in the, in the last three censuses. That's 30 years. That's, that's not a lot. Um, and obviously that pales in comparison to the fabled triangle that, connects Dallas-Fort Worth with Austin, San Antonio, and Houston. Um, but here we are on a very busy transcontinental highway. What's your thoughts on this? You know, I'm glad I'm not in the uh, the production side of it. You know, I continue to see, I mean, just in the last year, I mean, you have Amazon. Um, you have a new company um, just right across the street from us called Kinsiki, which is the largest uh, producer of, uh, of chorizo, which is a Mexican meat, um, and all the Mexican cheeses. Um, you know, Cavanis just built a huge, Trevor and Cavanis is a, a friend of mine, and we're a very large carrier for them. Those guys, when they open a plant, I heard that, that you know, Trevor told me when he was opening his new plant, you know, we're going to add 600 jobs. Well, to your point, I mean, if the, if the people aren't coming here, what are we going to do? And so... You know, Amazon opened up, you know, and when that happened, I mean, one of our, our biggest customers, Affiliated Foods, they're a $1.7 billion uh, grocery distributor. They service 700 stores in an eight-state area. We deliver all that freight for them. Um, and so, you know, I talked to the CEO, Randy Arsenal, when it opened, and he said, I'm a little nervous. I mean, that you know, they need two, 300 people over at Amazon. And so, you know, here at the end of the day, what happens is we're having to pay more money. You know, I mean, we were paying truck drivers – 60 grand two years ago and i thought that was pretty good you come to work for jack's transport tomorrow all you have to you can be you can be 21 years old and have two years of driving experience you start out at eighty thousand dollars and you don't need it you don't need a degree i mean and and that's that's a lot of money you know and so 
I think what you're going to, you know, there's there there's a new beef packing company that's coming in that was the beef producers, I think they're called, and they're going to have 600 jobs. I mean, this is going to continue to be a great place to live. Um, and the amount of jobs in this area compared to lots of other cities are just going to continue to to be a huge opportunity for people. And it's a, Amarillo's an amazing place to live. That's why I live here. I love it, you know, and uh, it's man, it, you're just going to see so many opportunities continue to come our way. Yeah, I've heard it said from um, our director of the Small Business Development Center uh, in, a, in a previous episode of this podcast that we're, we're almost too successful. Our unemployment rate is so low that it's hard to lure more employers here if we don't have available workers. That's right. Well, available workers, I mean, and, and here's the deal. I mean, there's, uh, you know, there, I see this happening in uh, 55, 60 miles from here is Cactus, Texas. And then that's JBS Swift. And I think JBS Swift are, you know, Brazil, you know, owned by Brazilians. And, and uh, I think they're the largest, you know, beef, uh, beef producer in the world. And uh, man, they have buses that show up in Amarillo, Texas every day. And they and they load their workers on buses and ship them 60 miles. I mean, think about that for a minute. Where is that happening? Right. And so and also, again, we go back to housing. I mean, you know, there's there's not enough housing here. And so which really at the end of the day, they are they're great opportunities they are great opportunity for construction. They're great opportunity for businesses. Um, and, uh, you know, there's probably no other place that I'd rather be than, than Amarillo, Texas, you know, right now with the business opportunities that we have. Do, do you have any trouble recruiting good truck drivers here in Amarillo or do they just find you you know what we've had to do and is is uh pay more money pay more benefits you know and you know offer more benefits and and again I mean like our company policy is this you know for those of you listening you know if you if you're if you're a you know just a professional then you probably work somewhere a year and you get a week vacation and you work there two years and you get two weeks vacation and our company you work 90 days, you get a week vacation. And then six months, you get a second week of vacation. I mean, what companies are doing that, right? And so, I mean, you know, we're just, you're, you're having to, you know, pay the most money. You're, you know, we have a $10,000 sign on, $10, sign-on bonus right now. So you put the $10,000 sign-on bonus with the $80,000, you start out at 90 grand, you know, working for us. And then we have some other freight that we haul, going to the Allsup's uh, convenience stores. Those guys make ninety thousand plus a ten thousand dollar sign-on bonus. So a guy who's 22, 23 years old can come to our company and he's making a hundred grand. Like, I mean, think about that five years ago. That's not even, you know, the truck driver is, is somebody that they wouldn't, you know, would wouldn't be on the high priority list of a job to go after. And, and you know, it's a tough one, but a hundred grand a guy's making. So you're just you're just having to, you know, provide a great opportunity with benefits and and uh, you know, an excellent pay. And that's just kind of that's the way we attract people. So you mentioned two years experience. Of course, they have to have a CDL. What kind of experience do you want them to have had before you would look at them? I mean, driving a school bus is one thing, but driving a 53-foot-long yep. rig is quite another. Absolutely. You know, one thing that our uh, our community has done well, Amarillo, Amarillo College has a truck driving school here, and, and it's awesome. You know, they're, they're grooming, uh, you know, new truck drivers, and we need that. Um, and uh, definitely not beating up on, on any new truck drivers, but no different than, you know, we're 16 years old, we're learning to drive. Sometimes we kind of, you know, scratch a fender here and there because we don't have the experience. Well, you know, we need 
you know, for, you know, if you're going to come to work for us because we're paying the most money, we have the you know biggest benefit package. Um, we have the nicest, newest equipment. Um, you know, we want someone who's been out there driving, you know, a semi truck and a 53 foot trailer for two years. Um, and I tried this, you know, many years ago when, when we, uh, had taken on a big contract. Hey, if you just, if you come out of truck driving school, we were going to give you a job. And, uh, you know, we had, we, we, we bent up a lot of bumpers. I'll just say that. Right. And so now, you know, we've decided that it's better to just offer a bigger compensation package along with the quality of life that we offer these guys um, and ladies and, uh, you know, and to get, make sure they have at least two years experience. So they're, you know, taking care of the equipment. We're very fortunate here in Amarillo to have a low cost of doing business. Heck, it's a low cost of living as far as I'm concerned. Um, while the price of everything has gone up everywhere, um, we're usually always behind that curve, even with fuel. I mean, compared to the rest of the country right now, our gas is pretty cheap com compared to big parts of the country. And so I can't complain. How does all this work to your advantage as a businessman, especially compared to businesses like yours in other areas? You know, I have, uh, I have, you know, it's because fuel here is, uh, you know, three eighty four bucks a gallon right now versus six fifty seven bucks a gallon in California. You know, we have guys that will call us, you know, and ladies that will call us and, you know, looking for a job and they'll ask what we pay and they're and and then they'll say, well, is that all you're paying? I'm like, we're paying almost a hundred grand. What do you mean? Well, I mean, do you realize what it costs to live in California? Because you can live anywhere, you know, with us uh, and say, I'm like, well, maybe you should move to Amarillo. And so um, I believe that, uh, you know, it it's the, the kind of the formula there is because our cost of living is so low, you know, it allows us to be competitive, you know, with with other companies, you know, that maybe we're competing against in Dallas or in Atlanta or, you know, or in Salt Lake City or California. And so um, it's it's amazing to me. You look at what houses are selling for a square foot here versus in those other cities. And we do have a huge advantage, you know, because our our cost is, is less, you know, and so uh, it, it is a great opportunity. Shane, what words of advice can you give to budding entrepreneurs wanting to launch a business in Amarillo, anywhere, trucking or not trucking? Yeah, you know, I was speaking here at, at West Texas A&M a few months back, and, I, and I, I met a lot of people who said, you know, they were 20, 21 to 23 years old. I want to start my own business. And I said, okay, well, what have you been doing? Where have you been working? And, you know, through college, we do the little, you know, whatever kind of jobs we can to get by. And, and what I tell most people that are that age, I'm like, hey, listen, don't take offense. You don't know anything about running a business. So, you know what? Find out an industry that you love and, uh, and go work in that industry five years. Go work in it 10 years, whatever it takes, and learn everything you can about it and, and, and find a company that's doing a great job of it. Um, and then if, if, that, if you decide you want to own your own business, um, don't go off and set yourself up to fail because you're trying to figure out, you know, how to operate a business, you know, once you, once you understand how to operate someone else's business and do it successfully, well, then you're probably primed to go out and do it on your own. And so, uh, I told a girl that the other day, I said, you're only 22 years old. Don't take this wrong, you know, but in my opinion, go, if it's a year or if it's 10 years, whatever it is, go get really good at, at, at that business. And then you can go start your own. And that's probably the biggest takeaway, uh, you know, for, you know, for me. What is life like being very busy. I know you are, you're just a blur, but you're also very successful uh, as an entrepreneur. Do you have time to have a life? You know, what's funny is I probably have, um, 
more fun than anybody I know. And, you know, because I have, I'm a pilot, you know, I, I, you know, I, I, you know, I get to fly in a little plane, you know, which it's, I call it my time machine. And, um, you know, my wife asked me the other day, I've been married 22 years. And, uh, she said, you know, Hey, our daughter's celebrating her 22nd birthday and we're going to go to, you know, wherever, um, do you just want to come in for the normal three days? You know? And, and I said, absolutely. You know, and I love working. I have five other businesses besides the trucking company and, um, and I love it. And I, you know, and I'm not the guy that, you know, works 70 hours a week. I mean, I, probably, you know, I get up at four 30 every day and I probably go to bed at nine, nine 30 at night and I get a good night's sleep. And, and I'm not Donald Trump who says you can make it on four hours a day. And, and, um, so I probably get to have more fun than anybody I know. And, and I make sure, you know, every, you know, usually Monday morning, I'll ask my son or, you know, a couple guys that I, or my friends and I'll say, Hey, what are you doing this weekend? Then they'll say, it's Monday morning. I'm like, I know we got to start planning. And so, you know, the last three weekends I've been riding snowmobiles in Park City, Utah. And, and, uh, you know, we're, we're just having a lot of fun. And I think that's, you know, the thing that everybody's got to remember is it's not about working 80 hours a week. And if that's what you're doing, you know, that's, that's not the plan, you know? And so obviously, you know, it took me, you know, when I first got started, I was working, you know, 12 to 15 hour days, you know, and that's, you know, you know, everybody's got to be ready for the grind. I hear guys call me every now and then, and they'll say, man, I've been doing this for two years and I'm, man, my wife's upset because I'm having to work so much. And I'm like, well, then you know what, you probably ought to go do something different. I, you know, it's, it's a 10 year grind. And if you're not ready for a 10 year grind, you're probably not cut out to be an entrepreneur and that's okay. You can work for somebody else. Um, but, uh, it definitely, you know, anything worth having doesn't come easy. Right. And so, but I definitely have a great time and I've definitely, uh, learned, uh, you know, how to have a, a great, you know, life work balance. When we return, we'll let Shane explain more of the non-business side of his life. The demand for professionals in data analytics and information systems far exceeds the supply, which is why the Paul and Virginia Angler College of Business developed the Masters of Science in Computer Information Systems and Business Analytics degree program. Already, external reviewers have ranked it among the highest IS programs in the nation. We are an AACSB accredited college and among the most elite business schools around the world. Available completely online, this program will help you transform businesses and propel them far into the 21st century. Data mining, data analytics, and data science are keys to your success, and we provide the key to unlock your future. Reach for the stars with a West Texas A&M Master's in Computer Information Systems and Business Analytics. For more info, find us at wtamu.edu cob or call 806-651-2500. From the Texas panhandle to the world, we're here to help you reach those stars. Shane, I recall that before you got too embroiled in the trucking company, you were involved in motorsports. Can you tell us more about that? You know, I grew up, you know, riding dirt bikes just for fun, you know, motorcycles. And, uh, and then, you know, all through, you know, through, even though I, you know, I worked probably 50, 60 hours a week for five years, uh, at a, at a place called Sharps Motorsports. Uh, it was a Honda Suzuki Yamaha KTM dealership here in town. And, um, and I rode motorcycles, I raced dirt bikes, you know, motocross. And, um, and that kind of has always been something that I've, I've loved to do. And so, um, you know, I, and it's kind of funny is my mind is you, the, one of the first questions you've asked about the entrepreneurial spirit. Well, when I was in college, I was racing dirt bikes and, you know, I went up to the guy that ran the motorcycle, the motocross track. And I said, Hey, I don't, you think your announcers, your announcer's not doing a very good job. You, why don't you let me do that? I'll, I'll, you know, what are you paying him? I'll do it for half. You know, and that's just, that was just something that's ingrained in me. And so, 
you know, and it might be at a, a go-kart track or a BMX track and, uh, you know, announcing, having those announcing jobs. And so I've always been around motorsports. It's always been, you know, something that's been very fun to me. And, and uh, you know, we've gotten as big, you know, I raced the Baja 1000 in, in November, you know, this last year. So motorsports has definitely been a big part of my life. Yeah, you know, I saw this on Facebook. I consider that probably the most interesting aspect of you. Uh, racing the Baja Peninsula, I mean, that that just is mind-boggling. It's insane for, you know, the rest of us flatlanders out here to think of going to a foreign country and then doing some crazy race through through the desert. I mean, you got to tell us more. You know, it's, uh, you know, my son and I, he's, he started racing motorcycles when he was four years old. And uh, I mean, his name is Jack's Redline. If you ever heard of a racing name, you know, there's one right there. And so, you know, uh, when Baja was always a big deal to me, and it was always like this, just this, it's almost like for people that like to climb mountains, it's like Mount Everest, you know, it's in Baja is our Mount Everest, you know, and uh, we started racing about five years ago, and, uh, and these little bitty, you know, like a Polaris Razor, or a Can-Am Maverick, and then we just kept on going, it was always this, it, you know, the Baja 1000 um, is the hardest off-road race in the world, and uh, we've raced we've raced four of them now over the last four years, and then uh, five Baja 500s, and uh, you know, imagine we did this uh, last year. Imagine getting in a getting in a truck and uh, getting in a in a truck and racing it for for 29 hours without stopping, and um, and there's some people that solo it. We would have multiple drivers, and uh, and it was just a blast, you know. And, and we've continued to do it, and I think that ties right back into the one of the questions you asked earlier is having the work life balance. You know, people can't just you can't just grind and go home at five and you know or seven or whatever time it is and fall apart and need to go to sleep. You got to have some fun. You got to have something to look forward to. And I think that's you know one of the things that's driven me the most is uh, knowing that there's there's some fun on the horizon. So did you have uh, a support crew? You know, a chase vehicle. I mean, you had to refuel. You couldn't carry enough fuel in this uh, Polaris for a thousand miles. Yeah, and actually, you know, the last Baja one thousand we just did, I actually raced it uh, on a motorcycle. And so uh, yeah, we had we had six riders. Um, we had a helicopter follow us, uh, which I actually flew that part of the race when after I got off the bike. Um, and then uh, and my son actually was racing a truck. And so we had a truck and a motorcycle class, totally separate. You know, he's over on doing his deal. And uh, we had uh, we had seven Ford F-250s that are our chase crews. And we had 47 people. And the race was uh, 1,229 miles long and uh, took about 29 hours. And uh those experiences are, are some of the most amazing memories that I'll ever have. And so, yeah, it took a big, huge support crew to make it happen. So you're doing this day and night. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah you'd start at, you know, the, the motorcycles would, I mean, you could, you can look at my Instagram page, Redline Chain, and you'll see, uh, there's me, you know, at the start of the ball 1000 at two o'clock in the morning and, uh, you know, and, and, uh, taking off into the dark, which is crazy. And my, some of my, you know, the guys I've done business with my bankers are like, Hey, you're you're living a little bit crazy. I don't think you need to be out doing that kind of stuff. And and uh, I'm like, well, that's that's I appreciate you saying that, but we're gonna do it, you know. And it's been a blast. And and uh, you know, yeah, day and night. And you know, it's uh, you know, I remember there was another race we had one time where I spent the night in the desert, you know, at 29 degrees, you know, wondering if I was gonna, you know, make it through the night. I mean, it's just crazy stuff. But you know, but that's that's definitely what drives me to 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 be an entrepreneur and to uh, and to just try to hammer down and and uh, you know and really capitalize and and make business happen. So, what's the start finish of of these races? 
Yeah, so uh, the at the Baja 1000, uh, it was it's called a point to point race, and so you start. Uh, we all know where San Diego, California is, so cross the border, go 90 miles south into uh, you know into Baja, and uh, we go to Ensenada, California, or Ensenada, Mexico, and so uh, start there, and uh, that race you finish in La Paz, Mexico, which is about 150 miles north of Cabo San Lucas. Um, and someone asked me the day, man, that's a long ways. And I said, yeah, we did 1,229 miles. And if you want to know how far that is, go to Los Angeles, California. And we had a dirt bike team and the truck team that did this, but go to Los Angeles, California and get on your motorcycle or your truck and drive it to Tulsa, Oklahoma nonstop. And that's, that's how far 1,229 miles is. It's just, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. Except you were off-road. Not yeah. on, not on the super slab. Absolutely, yeah. There's no, there's, there's hardly any slab in there, you know. So it's dirt and off road and cactus and, and uh, it's just an unbelievable experience. And, and, and that's crazy. And how did you navigate? I mean, were there markers, signs, anything along the way, or are you playing with GPS and so forth? Yeah, we have the Garmin Montana. We got GPS that take us along uh, through there, and then in, in our truck that we had that my son drove. Uh, you have what's called the Lowrance. It's a big old 11-inch screen that's got all the waypoints. And, and we would spend two or three weeks out in the desert uh, practicing. And so, you know, when you're driving at night, we don't go into it blind. We divide the sections up, and uh, we go out, and, and a guy's uh, he does his 100 or 200 miles, and he knows where every cactus is, where every hole is, you know, where the cliff is. He's going to run off in the ocean, and you've got to know that stuff. Uh, or Otherwise, bad stuff happens. Wow. I mean, I could see it being easy to just say, you know, we're done. We're going to go down to Cabo and party with Sammy Hagar, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. Well, you know, and, and, you, and you see that, you know, you about about 65% of the people finish. And uh, it is, it becomes, you know, you have mechanical issues. Uh, you know, at the last race we did, we had a transmission go out and they changed it out. And, you know, our, our, the, the guys in the F-250s, right, the support team that we were so appreciative of, and uh, they changed out a transmission. And then maybe 600 miles later, they had an axle go bad. So they're changing out the axle. And so it's definitely, uh, you know, a feat of, of uh, overcoming and uh, dedication and uh, not, uh, not quitting. Almost kind of like being an entrepreneur, I guess. So we hear about the hazards or the dangers of driving over into Mexico from the U.S. Uh, you know, we hear all the bad things. W were you ever afraid in, in the Baja uh, of those same types of things that we hear about in the news here? You know, Baja, California, as they call it, which is really Baja, Mexico, right? And so it's from San Diego to Cabo San Lucas. Um, it's definitely different than mainland Mexico, right? You know, in mainland Mexico, you hear about murders and you hear about drug cartels. And, uh, you know, those, the only way that pretty much Baja California exists, um, they're not, they're not producing any agriculture. They're not, uh, you know, producing, they're not, they don't have factories. The only way that Baja California, you know, really makes it, um, is because of, of tourism. And so those guys know that the only way we're going to keep this, keep going is to, to make sure that our tourists are safe. And, and, uh, and so it's, it's really not an issue. And, you know, when I, when I tell my friends I'm going, man, they, they, well, golly, I hope everything works out. And, you know, another, an organization that we, that we are a big part of is called Casa de Por Cristo, you know, and I'm heading to next weekend to, to Juarez, Mexico on a mission trip. And we're going to build a house in about three days. And some of my friends said, have you seen the news? What's going on in Juarez, Mexico? And it's a pretty dangerous area, but you know, you just stay in the right place and hang around the right people. And, and usually, you know, everything's going to be okay in my opinion. So last, last thing, what are your plans for the future? Not business. I mean, I think we already know where you're going with that, but pleasure and fun. I mean, do you have any other crazy 
adventures planned like Baja, you know, something bigger, faster, longer? What about it? You know, so uh, recently, uh, I'm definitely a guy that likes change, and, and I get kind of bored. Um, I think some people that have, uh, you know, that are good entrepreneurs might have a little ADD in them. You know, we got to be doing something all the time. And I didn't say everybody, but I said some. And so I've got into snowmobiling. And so, uh, uh, you know, I've, I've been been riding snowmobiles, like I said, uh, up in Park City, Utah, the last three weekends. And um, I'm heading to uh, Revelstoke, British Columbia uh, in two weeks to go snowmobiling. Um, and we've got three of those trips planned. And, uh, and, you know, again, I, one thing I've learned about myself is, um, you know, there's, uh, I had a buddy of mine ask for the day, he said, what do you think's wrong with my business? And he was, and he's, he's been in business probably three or four years. And this is another tip is, you know, one of the biggest failures I've seen in business is absentee ownership. And so you start making a little bit of money and you think you can go, you know, head to Florida, go to Destin, Florida every weekend, you know, well, you're, you, you got to get some good, strong legs underneath your business, get a good foundation. And, you know, one thing I've learned is once the business can run the same way uh, it does with you, without you, well, then, hey, man, then it's time you can take off. But until that day comes, you know, you need to, you know, need to stay there. And that's, again, that's one thing why I, uh, you know, I usually do three-day trips. I'll leave on a Friday and I'll come back Sunday night um, because I love doing business, you know. And the business obviously runs better, you know, when you're there, even if it's just checking on folks and talking to, you know, the different people that work for you. And so, but, you know, we got British Columbia coming up and, and uh, you know, we won the uh, biggest thing. And it's taken a while for it to get to this point. But, um, you know, people do business with people that they like. And so we've gotten to the point now when we can take our customers and do things. And so um, we love to, uh, you know, we've, we, we've taken guys to, uh, you know, hunting in, in uh, Colorado, or we've taken them down to Key West to go barracuda fishing. Um, so, you know, it, the best of both worlds is how do we go and have a good time and get to ride it off also on our taxes? And that's by hanging out with your customers. And so that's been a huge, uh, a huge opportunity for us. And so we get the best of both worlds. Our guest today has been Shane Redline, two-time WT grad and founder of Jack's Transport in Amarillo. Oh, and global adventurer. Give us your best shot, Shane. You know, one thing I'd tell you is uh, you got to be dedicated. You got to stay driven. Go to bed early. Uh, wake up early. And, uh, you know, just stay super focused and uh, don't give up. And I think that's the main thing that we haven't done. Uh, we don't give up. We're not going to say We're going to say yes to everything. We're going to make it happen. And uh, just, uh, just stay true to what you believe. You've been listening to Buff Speak from the Paul and Virginia Angler College of Business at West Texas A&M University. Our executive producer is Justin Lovell, and Allison Hunter is our associate producer. Our co-editors are Maverick Evans and Paul Torres. Lindsay Bjork is our Director of Marketing and Outreach Initiatives, which includes overseeing Buff Speak. Dr. Jeffrey Babb is Director of Accreditation and is our Technical Consultant. Finally, Dr. Amjad Abdullah is Dean of the College. You can find us online at wtamu.edu cob for more information about our programs. Be sure to check out our many academic offerings Come for the quality, stay for the small classes, affordable tuition, and friendly approachable professors. And look online at our faculty blog, profspeak.com, for more insights. You can listen to BuffSpeak on your favorite podcast portal, as well as on our website, buffspeak.biz. And if you like what you've been hearing, don't be afraid to share us with your friends, colleagues, and family. Word of mouth has always been the best form of advertising. Until next time, love one another. 
For the Paul and Virginia Angler College of Business at West Texas A&M University, I am Dr. Nick Gerlich. And as always, Go Buffs! Buff Speak.